All right. Welcome to the F5 podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to overcome childhood traumas, how to overcome childhood difficulties, challenges. Make sure to subscribe. Go to the YouTube channel, F5 podcast. Make sure to go to iTunes, F5 podcast. We look forward to conversing about how you're going to achieve success by overcoming childhood obstacles. Yeah, buddy. Let's get it. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about what we need to overcome in order to be successful. Um, so I think the first thing we need to, we should talk about is what types of childhood traumas people can experience. So caveat to this: we are not therapists. Do not like take our don't take our advice at uh, full value. Just make sure to actually get a licensed therapist if you really need help. Uh, but we're going to go over our thoughts and our experiences. Uh, so. What types of childhood traumas are there out there currently? <laughs> Anyone? Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. Sebastian, you can add if you want. But, uh, but there's, there's one type of childhood trauma, abuse, right? Emotional and physical abuse, right? So if you've, overcome, or if you've gone through emotional and physical abuse, how do you overcome that? Um, so... Let's let's think in terms of uh, an abusive dad, alcoholic abusive dad, right? Um, hit you his entire life, uh, didn't treat you right, and what kind of things could that manifest into uh, regarding uh, just like daily actions, uh, lack of success? What does that manifest? How does that manifest when you've had a, a dad or a mom that was alcoholic and was very abusive physically and emotionally? What do you think, Sabs? Well, I think I think um, trauma ultimately comes down to the person. I mean, you're going right into the heavy end of the pool there with some pretty gnarly stuff um, that we would label abuse. Um, but trauma comes in a lot of different forms. I don't think anyone gets out of childhood without some kind of trauma, although I think the word is greatly overused in our society as a permission to act and behave in all sorts of ways, which perhaps is another conversation. But childhood really sets the format or the structure for what you're here to learn and and a lot of the things that are embedded very early on um, we're going to spend most of our adulthood trying to process through and get over and physical abuse or emotional abuse specifically by a parent is probably among the most severe forms of that uh, and you know that is something going back to real therapy that is something very often that's going to take real therapy to get through but it starts with having an awareness around it and understanding what's actually going on and how it's showing up how is those experiences showing up for you in adulthood right i think uh how normally it manifests is if you're abused as a kid you tend to abuse other people right so if you're bullied like in school if you're bullied heavily you're probably going to bully other people right uh, usually bullies are the people that were bullied, right? So if you find, if you see a bully in school, or you see a bully in the workplace, they probably have gotten bullied. So there's like some like a, a like 
empathy that you should have towards bullies, like not 100% because obviously they're picking on people, right? But there's almost like an empathy that people should have towards them. And I think that would make the the blow of their bullying a little bit easier because they themselves have gone through the pain that they're causing other people. So how do you just like, so let's say you have a bully in school, right? And that person has overcome, that's, a, that's one way that it manifests, right? This, this could be a bully in school. It could be a bully at work. Somebody that's like picking on you. Maybe they're overly pedantic, overly express, overly concerned with details. And they're actually using that to bully you in, in the workplace. Um, and that's a manifestation of them being bullied at some point, right? So how does that person, how do you address that person doing what they're doing? Like, do you call it out? Do you, are you aggressive with them because they're aggressive with you? Like, how do you go, like, you need to stop this. You need to stop this bullying. You need to stop being overly pedantic, overly, like, looking at details and, and making me feel like I'm less than because you, whatever's in your head is not matching up to what you think things should be. How do you address that? So let's say you, you see somebody bullying another employee or somebody in your workplace. What do you do? Well, it very much depends on the line that they're crossing, how I'm going to deal with it. If it's um, if it's really over the top and I have to take very direct um, attention to what's going on, I will. But generally, I'm trying to understand what's going on with the person. Why are they behaving this way? Right. Why is this the way they're choosing to show up? What are they hoping to gain? I'm also looking at what need is being met by behaving this way, right? It's a program that was inherited much earlier in life. Like, what are you trying to gain from behaving this way? How, why is it that this is how you're showing up? How are you communicating with the world this way? Because it, very often, we don't have to agree with someone, but if we can understand them, it's much easier to not judge them. And if we're not judging them, it's much easier to help them, right? Because judgment creates separation in its very nature. We create separation. You can't influence that which you're creating separation from. So I'm, I'm seeking to understand the person. Now, that's obviously to a degree that is manageable. If this is over the top and I have to take a more evasive action in, uh, in our culture, then I'm going to be a lot more direct um, t to protect others and the abundance of caution of others. Do you think it's even manageable? Say somebody's bullying other people. Is that manageable? Do you, do, can you address it? And then is it, if, it's, if there's childhood trauma involved, is it even possible for them to adjust? Or is it like, it's going to be perpetual regardless? What do you guys think? I think it depends on the individual. Um, if the person is Thank willing, huh? Speaking the mic. Sorry. Um, if the person is willing to face those things, like our brains as adults are normally solidified by the age of twenty-five ish, mm -hmm. and so if they're older than that, it's not that it's completely impossible, but it does take a lot of work and. More often than not, it takes some other sort of trauma to happen um, in order for that change to take place. But I also feel like there are people that recognize the toxicity in their behavior and are willing to do that work. It just is work. It takes a lot of intention. So, Got it. So what, yeah. you said that another trauma needs to happen. What does that mean? Um. Like what I think of is like if somebody was abused by their parent and then they end up in another abusive relationship. So not necessarily that they're abusing, but that there is abuse that they're still experiencing. Right. 
then that's another form of trauma that is kind of shaking that foundation of trauma from the beginning. Do you also think like that you have to almost experience that type of trauma to even understand that you, you had to go through that in the first place? Like some people are just oblivious to the fact that they have trauma and then so they experience and then maybe their eyes open up to it. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant by the trauma. Yeah, Yeah, it like opens their eyes to past traumas that they've had. Interesting. So so they have to actually experience it. How do you like how do you go through understand that you've gone through trauma without actually having to experience another trauma? Is there a way to do that or is it like that's common? for people to have to go through trauma before they recognize that they have trauma in their past? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that if, if people don't experience that tension that the trauma is bringing them, then there's, I don't want to say no reason for them to look at it, Mm -hmm. but there's no attention to it for them to even see that it's yeah, there. They don't care. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't make a blanket statement and say that every single person has to go through more trauma to work through their trauma, but probably more common. I would, I would have to get statistics on it, say data on it, but more often than not that, yeah, there is, and not like the same degree of trauma. It can be something different that happens. Say again, let's go with the abuse, like verbal abuse. And then that person gets into a relationship with somebody that might not be as verbally abusive as their mother or father was, but still like touching on some of that where they're like, why am I choosing people that are constantly verbally abusing me? And it's not to that same level, but it's still some sort of trauma that's making them look at that wound and do right. a little bit more investigation. Yeah. What do you guys think? I don't know. This is such an interesting topic. Yeah. And I was Thinking just trying to way. look up. Um, you guys have walls up? <laughs> I feel like a little bit. No, not no. walls up. Maybe. Just um, an observance, right? Like I'm Got it. looking at what you guys are saying and kind of trying to understand trauma in its way like we all have trauma it doesn't necessarily have to be childhood trauma but then if it does manifest in a way where it brings like it brings it into your adult life right Right. like you're talking about if you were bullied as a child you can be a bully as an adult right um i just think that like hannah said to each individual if they're doing the work it might take some time right? Especially as an adult, if you were like a 30 year old adult still acting and behaving like a child because they think that it's okay. Like that's going to take even extra time and work and energy for them to switch or take off their whatever um, trauma out of there. So I'm like, I don't really have walls up. I'm just kind of like, I feel like everyone, not everyone, but there are a lot of people who have experienced a lot of shitty things that I have not experienced. Yeah. You know, so it's hard for me to put myself in their shoes, even though knowing that that happens, like I, I I don't know. I just don't want to, right. Like I don't, not that I don't feel empathy towards them. It's just like, why I don't want to put myself in a situation where I feel sad or. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I just can't. I don't just, I'm a very um, empathetic person. Yeah, a I'm bit. just like, oh, gonna, this is hard. I'm gonna, we're gonna delve deep into all our traumas in a second. But um, so, with regards to like manifestation, 
So you have bullying, you have, so you have on one end, you have the people that treat other people bad because they were treated bad. And on the other end, you have people that choose people that, that treat, treat them bad, treat them bad mm. right? Maybe mm-hmm. they're not treating other people bad, but they treat people bad. So, um, so we have to be aware of that first, right? So the first thing is be aware of it. But then what if people are like not open to adjusting? What if they're not open to hearing feedback? What if they're just like, screw you, I don't want to hear it? Like, because it's so, it's so traumatic. Some people, some people bully? hide it so much and they don't want to bring it out that, that they'll be defensive when you actually point it out. So how do you address that? Like when people are overly defensive, like I'm sure you've had to coach someone, right? That was overly defensive, that had a bad past, right? Um, how, do you, how do you address that? Well, this goes into my, my life's work. This is core to really my mission for being here in this particular timeline, uh, which is self-awareness. It's helping people with really self-mastery is the pinnacle expression of this, but it starts with self-awareness. So my, my goal with, with everyone is to create space for them to become more aware of themselves, why they behave the way they do, why they do the things they do, most of which we inherited when we were kids. Our way of interfacing with the world is a program that was set most likely by our parents or whoever was the most influential characters in our life as children, which is usually parents. And so they set the stage, which is why we continue to go back to uh, behaviors that are related to our parents. Like how often do you hear kids, you know, say or think to themselves, I'm never going to be like my my mom. or I'm never going to be like my dad. And then they get into early adulthood and they're like, fuck, I'm just like my mom. I'm just like my dad. Well, until you do the work, you will be because you're you're picking up traits from them. Right. That's right. you. When you come into this world, you're mostly a blank operating system. Um, and you, you, you start adopting programs as you interface with the world. And those programs very often are from the people closest to us. So you're going to inherit energetically the things that you participated in, things you played with. So, and that's the awareness piece is understanding that. And then as an adult choosing, how do I want to show up? Do I want to continue to show up this way in the world? How is the serving? It's one of my favorite questions to ask. Uh, but you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. Right? Mm-hmm. You can't help somebody that doesn't want to grow and everybody's in their own season. So, and I, I try not to force that, but how I participate or how I decide to show up for someone, it very much has to do with where they're at. So if somebody doesn't want to grow and change our culture, or our business, as an example, where you're, you're asking may not be a good fit for them right then. And that isn't judgment. That's just putting the pieces together. Yeah. And I, I don't think that someone would be attracted to our business that doesn't want to do the work and like put in the time to grow and change and be uncomfortable. And that's one of my, my genuine concerns. And I hate to make sweeping generalizations because when you do, you're inevitably going to be inaccurate to some degree, but it's a, it's a lazy way to describe anecdotally what's happening. But it does appear from a cultural standpoint, energetic standpoint that the mess, the prevailing message right now is it's not your fault to everything. And so it seems anyway that more and more people are not motivated to take ownership for the result in their life or how they show up. They're far more interested in regulating what other people are doing. Just like it seems like we've we've come into this like season of hypersensitivity. We are so concerned about what we say to other people and and how offended they are. And and to to be sure, we should be sensitive to a degree. um, 
But when you're more interested in changing other people's behavior than yours, you're already on the path to the dark side. And that's like, that's where we're at right now. It's all about changing other people, not ourselves, not taking ownership for us. Imagine if you didn't have sensitivities, how much easier the world would be. What do you think is going to be easier? Making everybody modify how they behave to you or changing you so that you don't have to be so hypersensitive. Now, even as I say that, I guarantee you there are people that are pissed off at that idea, which is hilarious to me. Sensitive at the idea of being overly sensitive. Yeah, 100%. You pointing out that they're sensitive is making them overly sensitive. I guarantee you there's going to be comments. Really? <laughs> I guarantee yeah, you. It's like, fuck you. Because that's what they're being told. It's like, hey, it's not your fault that you're sensitive. Ask other right. people to change. Well, people aren't going to change. Starting the illusion of control is one of the paths to freedom. Do you think there's certain generations that have that over others? Have the oversensitivity? Well, yeah, it's it's how you grew up. But do you think there's certain generations that 100%. have proclivity? proclivity? 100%. Okay, here's, so, here's what happens. Yeah. Let me just jump in here. The greatest generation fought the Depression. World War II. They didn't have the luxury worrying about what the fuck their feelings were doing. Right? <laughs> to me, it is an absolute um, expression of our affluence yeah. and our success as a country, the shit that people get to be worried about right now. Yeah. And they don't see it. That's what killed me. And if you follow the fall of nations or the cycle of nations, that's always one of the last phases before the collapse. Because they get fat and happy and they don't have any perspective of how much they actually do have. And the things they actually get to worry about, um, you know, that other generations didn't get to because they were yeah. far more worried about, I don't know, national security, not having to speak another language, um, having to deal with big problems. Now we're in this like existential crisis where our biggest problems are eternal, internal, which is fascinating. Can you eternal. imagine like before storming the beach of Normandy? They're yeah. like, hey, we need to talk about how you called me fat yesterday. Yeah, I don't, you know, <laughs> I just um, having a hard oh, time with funny. this. Yeah, well, I've got 30 seconds to live, and I'm still hitting the beach. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, yeah, you're right. They're, they're, people are overly sensitive. I would say, I'm just going to call it out, Gen Z and millennials are overly sensitive. I think Gen Zs are a little what? bit... What? I think, I think, <laughs> I, I, I think Gen I Z and millennials are a little bit more... I think uh, Gen Z are a little less of, offended by it than millennials, I think. Millennials are the softest culture, or the softest generation. I, I think I, I think I think they have the opportunity to be to be one of the great generations. One hundred percent. In that, the argument for that would be they've su survived the Great Recession, right? Which was True. which was pretty significant and jarred their whole worldview from a, a collegiate standpoint and from an employment standpoint. And then they also were now early adults to late adults with kids trying to buy a home during a freaking pandemic. Like right. Those things definitely shape your worldview, but awareness then is how do I want to show up in these things? Am I going to use this as an excuse? Is, is it a valid excuse for why I don't have what I want? Or I'm going to use this as the reason why I'm going to get what I want. And that's to be determined. We'll see how it goes. But what we didn't have a hundred years ago was mass media and social media that can give you all sorts of programming and validate all of your feelings and make you think, you know, it's okay to be this way. We're really into that right now. And I, I, I don't think if you follow history at all, that doesn't usually work out well. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I think also millennials, I, I, I hear like a lot of like boomers complaining about millennials. And part of the reason I think millennials are a little different is because like boomers had to do things they had to do or they would not survive. Millennials can do whatever they want. Like th there's so many like opportunities for them. Like they could do, they could be like do a gig on Fiverr. We're we're doing an interview with uh, Alec Alexa Peruso, 
and uh, she she makes like three hundred sixty seven thousand dollars on Fiverr, and it's just the fact that like gig economy, gig economy. So like boomers are complaining a lot about like the the millennials being lazy, not working as hard, and I think really it comes down to they're just focused more on what makes them what makes them happy and what's what they're passionate about. You can see like a millennial that's completely lazy in one job, but then works their ass off in something they're passionate about, and I think that's a that's a big distinction that needs to be made with regards to millennials because I, I hear millennials is the generation that's complained about the most by that's far so funny. by far like I'm a millennial you guys are very likely millennials or Gen Z Gen Z likely um, but millennials yeah so I, I, I used to I used to get into the generational stuff uh, and then I read um, I believe it's Plato somebody correct me on this but I think it's Plato in the Republic um was lamenting about the next generation, how they were weaker, lazier, didn't work as hard, didn't seem as disciplined. I'm like, okay, so that was 3,000 years ago they were complaining every, every about Every generation next... complains about so, another generation, yeah. So now I'm like, you know, I just try to understand the differences. And I get why the boomers were the way they were is in response to their parents who were overly conservative and, and, and try to store everything. Like some of you may remember having grandparents that stored coffee cans and Pepsi cans and like random jars and things. You're like, why are you storing all this? Well, their big, their big influence was the depression, right? So they never knew if they were going to have enough. So it got ingrained. The baby boomers were the generation that came out of World War II, and they're called the baby boomers because America was on the up, the economy was starting to do better and better, and we started populating like crazy, um, and it was all about. The American dream, right, where you really see that kind of come in, and it was all about corporate America and working up the corporate ladder, which worked for a generation. It just wasn't sustainable, and it doesn't work anymore. So the millennials come along, and there's Gen Xers in there too, but the millennials come along, and their whole issue is, hey, I have both parents are working, they're chasing money, and they're not happy, they're getting divorced. I'm being, I don't have a parent at home. I have a twenty dollar bill on the counter and get some pizza and do your homework, and so they learned a different way to look at the world. And it was in response to the last generation, which is always the case. So I try to seek to understand why they see the world the way they do versus judge it. So the first step in, and if you had a, an abusive past, uh, the first step is becoming self-aware. Yes. So you have Absolutely. to become self-aware. Yes. Because if you don't know that there's a problem, so then how, how do you how do you coach people in becoming more self-aware? Do you like – you? Like the, the only this is the work. See, it's, it's all in asking questions. Right. It's just, why do we do the things we do? Why do we do the things we know we shouldn't and we don't do the things we know we should? Right? Why do I continually show up this way? So, for instance, if you've had three girlfriends and all of them treated you the same way and you treated them the same way, what's the likelihood that you just got unlucky with three different girlfriends or that it's how you're showing up in the world? Right. Like that, that's a question I would ask. Like, hey, what's the one control all yeah, three of that, these like, girls? Yeah, you see that people like complain, like, oh, I, I've been screwed over like the last three relationships and my last three relationships. Like, what's the common denominator? What's the common denominator? And then or, people sometimes they don't they don't recognize that. So one hundred percent. Or you had how do you, five bad bosses? Right when I interview you have five people, bad bosses. So, oh you interview people and they want to tell me about all their bad bosses. The first time I the first thing I think is, what did these bosses all have in common? Mm -hmm. You. Right. True. So it, how are you showing up? Because that's the only thing you can control. So is that how a turnoff for you with regards to like hiring employees? Like you go, you just complain about, I mean, to me, it would be a turnoff and dating would be a turnoff. If somebody was like, 
my last my la- my three ex boyfriends, you know, were horrible to me. They were all abusive. Generally, unsolicited complaining is a turnoff to me in all environments. Right. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. The thing is, like, mm-hmm. we we do live in a culture right now that doesn't take accountability. But why so, is that? I don't know. Uh. I think we should explore honestly, that. like I'm just gonna be honest. Like I think it's it has a lot to do with this culture of Molly, do you mind turning that camera? Okay. Um so it has a lot to do with the culture of uh like feel good about yourself and no matter what, like this whole like um love yourself movement, like if you're so like the, this came a little bit earlier. This is Carl Rogers, and you guys can look this up. Um, Carl Rogers coined the phrase if it feels good, do it, which of course the hippies absolutely loved and really helped fuel their movement but it it turned into pop psych in the 80s and there was this belief system that if you just told kids they were special little butterflies that everyone was a winner everyone gets a gold star for showing up that they would have more self-esteem that have more confidence and they'd be more well-adapted adults well folks the fucking data's in and that's the exact opposite of what happened we have a generation that is on more fucking medicine, anxiety, depression, mental health issues than ever. And I'm not saying it's just because of this, but one thing is for certain that didn't work. And so, and and what it did do is, is not allow for constructive criticism and for feedback. It's just tell people what they want to hear and make them feel good. And here's the problem, the BS detector, which you may kill as you get older, but the BS detector knows when something is, is off an eight year old kid knows he wasn't a success when he gets a participation trophy. I know this because my own kids saw this. They threw away when the first year they played football. I was so proud of them. They got a participation trophy for, for, for playing. And I saw it in the garbage and I asked Damien about it. And he goes, I didn't win anything. I was like, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I didn't awesome. have to tell him that. But he got it because he knows, like, no, I like eighth place isn't winning. Right. Right. And competition is important, which that's a whole probably another podcast of why that is. But they just when you say something isn't true, the BS detector knows it isn't true. And so in your in like then you learn not to trust people when they're telling you well, things that, you know, aren't true. You, you can't address your traumas if you're not being held accountable in, in the right way. So like you can't address like in your example, Damien gets an eighth place trophy. Did he? He got an eighth place. It was participation oh, trophy. Participation which I'm not necessarily against. He was he was eight years old. Oh, it was okay, just I'm like, hey, thanks it. for playing football this year. But it didn't well, mean anything to him because he didn't do anything for it. Well, if your parents, okay, so if your parents tell you consistently that you're doing good, and that you're when you're not when you're not doing good, then you have no frame of reference to adjust to go. Hey, I need to change this. I need to change that. Well. Worse, Fine. if you know you're not doing well and they're yeah. telling you you're doing well, you start to lose trust in your parents or whoever it is that's telling you that because you're like, you're not telling me the truth. I think it's worse and the other way. I think it's the worst. Yeah. I think it's worse the other way where you actually believe your parents and like you you, you continue well, on. Yeah, and you create little emperors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, who think they can do no wrong. Exactly. Or like the, you, you see people treating like waitresses bad, like little kids, and you're like, dude, what happened here? Like so you weren't raised right in some way. Um but like, it's interesting. Like, I think there's a lot of people in, in in this culture right now that are telling themselves, "I need to love myself regardless." Right. So you have. I'm just gonna. That's I mean, true, this, by the this, way. This, this is a that hot. Is absolutely this is a hot true. Yeah. So like. Sorry, you're getting me so excited. You should not have. I think personally, if you want to actually improve, you should not have unconditional love for yourself, and that's being preached right now. Unconditional love. Ooh. If you're if you're 400 pounds right now love yourself you're okay you're good like like you you're beautiful the way you are blah blah blah. 
that like you're gonna die in 10 years if you don't change your you, eating habits. you probably want to frame what you mean by love i uh, to be you should love i'm gonna yourself. i'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of counter yourself. what you're saying here yeah for clarity's sake unconditional love is likely the first step to actual real growth and development mm -hmm. What you're framing as love is accepting yourself the way you are and resigning yourself to that life. Right. That is not the same thing. Not even close. And we get our culture is so fucked up on love too, and we're very confused about what love actually is. Mm. Um, but unconditional love is really important. Loving yourself is really important. The problem with these phrases, though, is they get used and abused, and they become very cliche. And the best lies are sixty percent truth. There's enough truth in the lie to make it believable enough that people will start using these things and mantras without actually yeah. understanding what it is they're saying. Loving yourself the, is the first step, in my opinion, um, but real love, the, not the I, I, real love. Real love is in like, I need to change myself. I need to do something because I love myself. Like if, if you were your best friend, would you would you consider that love? So to me, like a best friend is like if there's something going wrong. You have something on your shirt and you're about to go out. You have a mustard stain on your shirt right there. I'm not going to be like, oh, you look great. You're right. awesome. I'm going to be like, you have a mustard stain on your shirt. You need to go change your shirt right now. I'm not going to like lie to them. So And then they're, they're going out like, hey, I look great. And everybody's like not wanting to talk to them because they have a huge mustard stain. They don't even notice, right? Um, so like there, there is – to me, there's a benefit in like loathing your situation. Like, they're probably motivated that, that way. And disgusted. some people are. They're they're hardwired. They're hard some people are motivated more towards love, some are motivated more towards fear. Right? Yeah. Fear drives them and drives behavior. Some people right. are motivated by love, and that's what that motivates you. So you gotta have to understand, well, what what are my levers and what motivates you? If you're a fear of loss guy or a negativity guy and that drives you, that probably works. Right. But honesty, I don't think you can have love without truth. I don't think you can have love without honesty. I think they come hand in hand. Right. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I agree. <laughs> I um, Yeah, I just think that with love, people can motivate themselves to continue to either grow or not, right? So the way that you're kind of pointing it out, like the unconditional love, if you're overweight five, 400 pounds, like, and continue to still love themselves. If they're not moving in the direction to create a healthier lifestyle, then are they really loving themselves? Mm. You know, right. or are right. they just hating themselves for, I don't know, like the, what, what you were trying to frame earlier, I was kind of thinking like at every stage, some people can, there's always seasons, right? Like seasons of which we're going through in our lifetime. Like if for whatever reason, quarantine hit you and you gain 15 pounds and you're like, fuck, I still love myself because all of this weight, I'm still a lovable person, but you really want to work on getting healthier then. Okay. That is conditional love. That is self-love. Like whatever you do to make yourself, I think happy in your own way, right. if that's not hurting you in any way, I still think that's love. Yep. You know, I, I mean, people that do drugs it is a whole different aspect of things <laughs> you know experiencing and, and just to add to that it's like who are we to judge if somebody wants to be 400 pounds yeah. overweight and die that way that's their life that's their choice I, I don't feel compelled to tell them that they're wrong for choosing that life um you know obviously from a different perspective it's like that's crazy why wouldn't you want to take care of your body and have a better life experience but if they're willfully choosing that and that's what they really want 
Yeah. Well, and, and what if you? What if it's something that you can't willfully choose? What if it's your genetics and other like factors that you've potentially been exposed to, and you do bust your ass and work really hard and try to yeah. lose, you know, fifty percent of your body weight over yeah. time, and just are never successful in that? Then are you just supposed to be yeah. miserable with yourself all of your life? Of course not. Right. Like there's well, a level of you know, accepting, but in that, you know, you're kind of thinking like, okay, if you love yourself, if you love life and you want to continue living a very long one, then you're going to make decisions that are in line with those values. Right. Yeah. But and also we, we're living in a balance of prob- prob- uh, probabilities. So like, is it, is it the exception? It's the exception. If you are really healthy and work out all the time and you're still heavily over your way overweight. Right. So that's the exception. 100%. Yeah. And we don't want to make so, decisions based on exceptions. That's no, another part in our we, society that's killing us. We don't make decisions on exceptions. Rules. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. So let's go back to this. So the, the first thing is awareness, right? The ability to want to change. That's, that's, a, that's the second thing. So you have to have those two or else we can't even move in any direction. Right. You have to have those things. I think one thing that's important to bring up is the kind of back to what you were saying about like fear and love and like being motivated by those things is that we also live in a culture where it's like good vibes only and so it's like all good feelings (laughs) only and i've been learning about like healthy shame Mm -hmm. and that when Mm -hmm. you can say you're 400 pounds that's not how you want to look you want to be able to do certain things that you're not able to you want to go on hikes or you want to play basketball or whatever and you can't that feeling is healthy shame right it's like holding yourself accountable to the life that you actually want but what happens is because we're in this good vibes only world that that is then shunned and it's like no actually i don't want that or i don't that's okay i don't need that i'm i'm great as i am instead of saying hey actually i'm missing out on things that i would like to experience in my life or i look at myself in the mirror and i've gained 15 pounds during quarantine right and i don't look the way that i used to and being able to actually face those emotions right and see them as beneficial because that that specific emotion in this example is healthy to be able to right. say, hey, okay, this isn't leveling up to the standard that I have for myself. I need to make some changes instead of this isn't leveling up to my standard. Mm-hmm. Let me lower my standard right. to love myself. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So... The, that the, we talked about abusive trauma, right? So you had abuse in the past. What about abandonment trauma? What about the other side of this, which nobody really talks about, is not getting it rough enough trauma. Like you not having a tough enough life, and you you resent your parents because they gave it too easy to you. That's it's great. There's people situations. There, there's people that complain about that. Yeah. Like um, so, there, there's an old saying that. I don't know if it's totally true, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly a popular phrase that you won't find an amazing man that is a son of an amazing man. Ooh, 
Oh, that's harsh. You won't find a successful man that is the son of a successful Ooh, man. That's like now. I think there are certain exceptions hurts, to that, <laughs> that but there, the stats are pretty interesting when you start looking at that because there's no resistance. But who knows? Maybe in a past life or the last couple of lives, you had it really shitty, so you decided to drop into this one and learn the other side of that. And I don't know. Yeah. Was it, was it like uh, M- Michael Jordan's son didn't make the the college team or something? No, he just that's a that's the most that's the hardest example possible because and he was named his name is Michael Jordan. Right, like you have Jordan on the back of your jersey. You oh yeah, you're immediately you're life. you're starting forward. And he like, was, immediately. he is was he is a talented basketball player. He's just not his father. Right. So what do you do with that? I mean, that's tough. Out of all, I mean, all examples, that's got to be one of the hardest ones because it's like I Jordan's honestly, I, I would prefer basketball. the abusive over the. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I honestly think like over the shadow. Yeah, I, I would rather have the yeah. abusive life than the overly coddled Jordan's life, son. <laughs> honestly, because every think about it, everything you do, everything you do, oh, it's because he's Michael Jordan's son. Every, every, every yeah. any type of credit you get, oh, yeah. it's he's Michael Jordan's son. So like. Those trust fund babies, I don't envy those guys or those women at all. No. Zero, zero envy for them, right? Because like everything you like, you people that know that you're a trust fund baby, you're, you're doomed for life. You're done. I guess like, it's, it's how you frame it, though, right? Yeah. Because you, it doesn't. That doesn't have to be your lot. It's just it doesn't have to be your kind lot. of thing to overcome because you're working it. it it can create friction in your social structure. It can also help you in a lot of ways, but it's all how you frame it. If you get a better starting hand, then you just, if you're compelled to do more with that, then good for you. The problem is very often when we get a good starting hand, it seems like we're less motivated because yeah. we don't need to. Need seems to drive a lot of human behavior, which is why you study a lot of success literature. You see need was the compelling reason. There was a need that was yeah. driving them. And so if that need is eliminated, there seems to be not nearly the drive to prove oneself. Yeah, that's true. So you'd be the exception. So you're not doomed to a life of like you just being be judged. And aware. Yeah, you just have to be conscious and, and aware and to be where clear, you are. There are amazing examples of generational wealth right. and success being passed down, but there's like a there's an intention to that. And all the families that I know that are structured that way, they intentionally create tension in the relationship. Yeah. And how they structure that passing down so that they do grow. And there isn't just a, a nepotism that just hands off the wealth or the, the business or the success. Oh, nepotism. That's the worst. Uh, <laughs> when, you, when you're not rewarded a contract or something because it's rewarded to their cousin or something like that. Um, but uh, I actually wish I had more nepotism in my family because it's so the opposite. <laughs> like, I wish I had a little bit of that. Like, give me something. Like, one thing. Um, okay. So... You have that, so you have trust fund. So if you're a trust fund baby, so if you're abusive in abusive relationship, you have to be aware. You have to want to make a change, um, and then same thing with the trust same, fund baby. Same, same thing. Be direction. aware, make a change. Um, what if you're just like you have this life and you're just, you're enjoying your life and you're you have this lavish lifestyle, like maybe people don't want to change and so they live in that like entitled frame consistently, which is really bad, I think. If you live in an entitled frame, you are not set up to overcome any obstacles in your life at all. And what if all that stuff goes away? So if you're a trust fund baby and you spend all of your money, which tends to happen often, then what what, what happens? Like why, why are so many trust fund babies? Why are they, you know, abusing alcohol, abusing uh, drugs and 
like they buy prost some of them, not all, but like a lot of them like they'll buy prostitutes. They'll engage in those kind of um, uh, you know nefarious nef activities. Nefarious. I'm activities. not sure what the stats are on that. I, I don't know if it's. I don't know the stats either. Yeah, that's a huge thing. It just the the the, the there isn't if you don't have a deep why or a deep need. You're like let's just use an example hunter biden right joe biden's son okay right buys prostitutes takes drugs uh does nefarious activities nefarious things that's the perfect example of somebody and he's not being held accountable either I, I, and your point on that is what the, my point is that he had it easy in life and look at all the things he's doing with his life i uh, would almost argue that that's not easy. Yeah. Like it's like Brad I, Jordan, Michael Jordan. Scenario yeah. And you're it's, Joe yeah. Biden's it's the same yeah. thing. And not even just being Joe Biden son. It's just somebody President that is Joe not Biden. being oh, held accountable. At like all. what I hear, like when you were asking about somebody that isn't willing to change or is like a bully, like how do you mm. coach them or help them? Like what shows up for me when I hear that is who am I? Right. Who am I to judge you mm -hmm. and tell you what you need to learn or the lesson that is meant for you right now? Yeah. Like that, I'm nobody. And right. so I'm going to do my work and I'm going to love the best way that I can. But if you're the recipient only... of the bullying, what is that? It depends. I mean... I would remove myself from that right. situation. Like I have standards for the experiences that I want in my life. And if somebody is going against those standards, then it's my job to take care of me and to have those boundaries and to have Got those it. standards for who's around me. But I'm not going to tell that person, I'm not going to drag them to therapy and say, you need to go through this stuff because I've done my own work and that's hard. Like I will right. never tell anyone to do the deep soul work ever. I will never press that on to anybody because mm -hmm. it's so hard when somebody is ready and willing, I will walk with you, Right. but I will never pull you down that road because it, number one, it's hard. And number two, I'm not on your journey and I don't right. know the lessons that you're learning. Right. So for Joe Biden, president, Joe Biden's son, he's exactly where he's meant to be and who knows what lessons he's meant to learn. Mm -hmm. And so for me to look at him and say, Hey, you're lucky or not lucky. Right. Just, yeah. It, yeah. I don't you know. You could say, you could say, you could make an argument that his life is great, but then you can also make the argument that it's horrible. Exactly. That relative, it's like, to, relative to who, when I listen to people describe other people, I almost never learn anything or learn very little about the person being talked about, but I learn a lot about the person talking because they're speaking from their perspective, their yeah. worldview. Yeah. Right. So that's that to me, like, I, I don't really, especially when I see things that are brought up in the media, I, I don't, I take everything with a grain of salt. I have no idea what that person's life's like. I yeah. have no idea what they've gone well, through. I do like things, being painted. I, I do like things or outcomes when they're harder to achieve. It feels better when sure. they're harder to achieve. So like, for me, like in school, I would get straight A's in the hardest classes, and I would get lower grades in easier classes because I was too bored. So that that is that is projection. I am projecting. I am saying, hey, like I want things harder. I don't want them easier because I I tend not to appreciate them if they're e if they're too easy. Yes. Yeah, that is a projection, hundred percent. But then some people maybe like things way too easy, and like everything handed to them. I don't know. I don't think anyone here at the table at this table does likes that. 
I don't get that sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get that sense at all. Um, but okay. So, uh, we have people that have it too easy in their life. We have people that were abused in their life. Uh, and the common theme is be self-aware and make, want to make the adjustment. All right. So what about us sharing our, our traumas? It's about to get deep here. Okay. So, um, I want to start, I, I can start, you can start. Um, if you don't want to share, if you don't want to share, that's fine. You can opt out. You can say, I don't want to do that. Um, but you know, can we talk about, and maybe people can learn. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I shared something on stage for like in front of like 200 people at one point, um, a trauma that I had. And I, like my wife, I don't share this stuff. Right. And, uh, my wife, and then also my friend at the time was like, you need to share this. You need to share it. You need to share it. You need to share it. Cause it's going to get, it's going to be, get people like, like liking you. And, and, um, it's going to resonate with a lot of people. I did. And I had one girl, one woman afterwards, she couldn't even talk. She was just tearing up. And she was like, I can't believe you shared that. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Like I had the same experience. Um, and, uh, and I, I literally, she couldn't even say that much, that many words. She just was tearing up the whole time. So that, that for me, that was like, okay, I should probably share more often because I, I'm not one to share. I'm not one to share at all. Like that's not, that's not who I am, but I've, I've learned to share more, but I think, you know, if we can share our experiences, maybe we can help somebody out there. Somebody's listening. One person, even if it's just one person, not like thousand people. I think that one person, we get that one person to that we can really resonate with, maybe we can help. So even if it's not your parents from your parents, some trauma that you had to overcome. So we can start with you or we can start with me. It's up to yeah, you. Yeah, I would just add to that. Um, the victories we gain aren't just for us, they are for others. Right? It's where, where I get caught up in people talking about their stories when they become identified with it and then get trapped by it, right? But sharing the things that you've overcome, the traumas that you've dealt with can be very empowering to others if they relate to you and realize, wow, um, you know, I'm not alone. Other people have experienced these things too and have gotten through it. So I think it is, it can be a really powerful thing to tell your story and the things that you've gone through, but your victories aren't just meant for you, they're meant for others. So to that end, I, I 100% uh, love that idea. Okay. So I'll start with you. Okay. Or we can start with me. Um, oh, okay. What What do you want me to share? Any trauma that you think could help people listening. And then how did you overcome it? How did you overcome it? I guess, I guess trauma is perspective. Um, but I think that's probably something that's pretty relatable. I, my, uh, which is fairly common in this day and age, but my mom and dad were divorced before I was a year and a half old. So I didn't know my dad as a, as a child. Um, I met wow. him as a young adult. Um, and so that obviously came with an impact. Um, my mom played mom, dad, and was my best friend. I played the role as the oldest son. I played the role more of like a, a husband, not in any weird way, but just right. I was the man of the house. So I took on responsibilities in a lot of ways that I didn't really experience a childhood growing up. And there was yeah. never a time when I was imaginative and lived in a fairyland. Although some people probably believe I live in imaginative fairyland to this day, but, um, but I didn't have a childhood. Uh, I started working when I was 11 wow. and I love all that. I look back at that now with absolute gratitude because it's made me who I am. Um, and it drove a lot of the result that I have in my life now. 
What was it like meeting your dad in your adult life? Was that traumatic? No, was it? it was like I always knew him. But my brother and I had completely different experiences. So I, I, I saw him. I smiled, hugged him. And it was like I always knew him. There was no energetically there was a knowing that that wasn't weird for me but my brother my younger brother who was actually still in the womb when they were divorced his response he he like had an emotional blah and ended up puking he got so totally different wow. experiences from the exact same scenario wow. um and my dad just passed last may and i was very thankful he was in my life for you know 20 something years Wow. Um, but I didn't, I never, that's a whole other discussion, but I never really saw him as a father figure at that point because I was already right. a grown ass man when I, well, <laughs> I don't know, grown ass man. I was 20 years old. That's still pretty much a kid, but I was a you adult were a grown enough. grown ass man at 10, probably. Yeah, I was a, <laughs> not, I was adult enough that it, he didn't have an impact on me from a father perspective, other than it helped me understand some of my biological tendencies as I have half of his genetics. You never had angry anger towards not having a dad. Like, no, but I've done, I think, a lot of work in past lifetimes. I don't frame things that way. Mm. Um, so, no. The no. only thing I will say, and it helped me in this lifetime, was very early on, my mom my mom never made more than 20 thousand dollars a year my entire childhood. Holy shit. Right? So, yeah. I make more than that in a week. So, that's like, that made a huge impact on me. And in, in like a, oh, like finances. Because everything, for her, everything was about money. Every decision went through the money matrix. Right. And so that motivated me to not let that be my life. Right. Like freedom is like a core tenet of my life. And I don't know that that had anything to do with my dad, but it's probably easier. Dual income probably makes finances easier. But there's a lot of people who have two parents that struggle financially. So I don't know. But that did motivate me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it actually helped you. All those things. For sure. Again, so, I think the so, traumas were the but, lesson. But the thing, is, the thing is, like people in your situation could have been a lot worse off. For sure. So what what are the things that you think you you did that made you much better off? Um, I'm a deeply empowered person. The idea of giving somebody else um, control or making excuses for my life because of somebody else just does not resonate with me at all. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't. I never did. And never. It was never an excuse. I never. I never grow up thinking. And again. I'm a, a successful entrepreneur who's done very well for himself. Um, no one in my family is entrepreneurs. Just for context, people don't know me. Nobody groomed me. I didn't have a model or a mentor or somebody that I looked up to in the physical world. I had lots of people in history, mm -hmm. um, but nobody that like, I didn't inherit anything. Nobody gave me anything. I'm self-taught. Um, I'm very motivated to that end, but I, I'm empowered. I don't make excuses. Uh, I own my results. Um, at yeah. the end of the day, I, I realize everything's on me. So I read uh, Think and Grow Rich as a kid, and I think that probably helped. I think it was 11 the first time I read the book. Right. And it helped instill a lot of principles and values that I hold to this day. Do I think this is a good topic to talk about, but were you, was your dad ever apologetic? Was he, did he ever say, hey, I'm sorry I wasn't in your life? You know. Oh, yeah. He was, he, he, I mean, to be fair, he tried to be when we were younger, but hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Uh, my mom yeah. did not make it easy on him yeah. because she was angry. Um, and so, she, you know, that's a very typical situation, unfortunately. But he tried and he was very, he felt like when we were all united, he felt like that was uh, an answer to prayer. Like right. It was like what he always wanted. So, yes, right. there was a lot of remorse on, on his end from that that part. Got it. Cool. I'm next. Yeah. Oh, this is, 
Ooh. in the hot seat. Yeah, in the hot seat. Um, yeah, childhood trauma um, in fifth grade. Uh, my uh, my mom just decided to quit on our on our family, so she left for like six years, and uh, that was very traumatic for me. Um, in fact, um, that so we I had like this math problem I was doing. It was in fifth grade, and I was having a lot of trouble, and we had this big argument about how to solve it <laughs> in fifth grade. This you was in fifth, you, me and my mom in fifth grade. And the next day she left. So I was thinking, this is my problem. That this is, this is, what, this is my fault. This is so like for oh years, for years and years and years, I thought it was my fault. I was like, why did I do this? Like, why did I do that? So from then on, like I thought to myself, I'm never going to ask people for help. That was my, like my go-to. I'm not going to ask people for help because when I ask for people for help, Shit goes wrong. That's what I thought. And then, um, but she had her own issues and she was visiting every once in a while, but, and she never took responsibility for it. So I was very angry for a while. But so the way I overcame it was just forgive, forgive and forget. Don't worry about it and actually still try to build a relationship. So she even did worse things after that, after the six years and then further on. We can talk about that another time because I want to give everybody time. But, um, that was my trauma, you know, mm. she left and, uh, but I, I had to overcome it by just saying, Hey, you know, I, I'm over it. I had to actually move on from it. I didn't move on for the longest time and I didn't know I, I didn't move on from it. So because of that, you know, it was holding me back in a lot of areas. And to this day, I still have trust issues with a lot of things. Um, I think Saps has experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have trust issues with a lot of things and I actually recognize it and I'm trying to overcome that. And so I'm actually self-aware of it. So at least I, I, I recognize it. Um, and then later on, uh, later on, uh, she, so this is like a pattern with my mom. She makes like very bad decisions. <laughs> She's like, sorry, mom, <laughs> you're a great person. Uh, I love you, but she makes very bad decisions. So I was 28 years old. I was dating my now wife and, uh, my wife, I was living with my parents still. So she, my wife was like, why are you living with your parents? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, are you a loser? Like, why, why are you living with your parents? It's because I was taking care of my dad. So we go out and I had the money. So I moved, still 28. I, I moved before, moved again, 28. And then two months afterwards, my dad gets put in the nursing home. I try to take him out. I get a restraining order put against me with, within two months of me moving. Um, my dad... I have a restraining order against me. It's like three months. I have like three months of I can't see him because I'm, I'm going to court and that takes a while. So I have a temporary restraining order on me. Um, be mind. Um, and the, three months after I see him, my dad is not walking, not talking, and he has a pressure wound of 11 centimeters around his sacrum right here. And so I'm like fucking pissed. Like why, why the hell did this happen? So I'd overcome that. So the way I overcame that was just – my dad just passed away in December, by the way, but it was five years of constant struggle with the healthcare system, five years of constant struggle with a lot of different things. And, um, I overcame that by just forgiving my mom completely and not worrying about that anymore. And actually, actually me being angry at my mom hurt my dad more, which is what a lot of people go through. They have to, they, they try to attack the, the people that are the only other people that can help. So, I had to come to the point where I was like, okay, I forgive hundred percent and we need to do this together to, to work things out. So eventually work things out, did a bunch of things for my dad. 
paid within. So I had I was getting married too. So it was about uh, I had a three hundred person wedding. Um, had to pay for my dad's medical expenses. Paid a hundred thousand dollars in about four or five months to to take care of his medical expenses and to pay for a three hundred person wedding. So I made that happen. So I always have that point of reference of like, hey, if you ever having if you ever have a difficult time, you can make it happen regardless. Um, and that's why I love being an entrepreneur. Anyways, forgive, forget, and then work on yourself and be self aware. That's my that's my advice. So so, so just th- yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> How did you become aware? Because there's a, the fact that you were aware that you experienced that as a child and that you had made a judgment that that was your fault and then overcame that. A lot of people, will, they'll, they'll, I coach around this a lot. I see this a lot. The child will make a judgment. Mm-hmm. The adult doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. So the child says this was my fault the adult doesn't remember the story or the reason they believe this but they show up in the world as an adult that way so what was it for you that allowed you to remember or to think hey i i put this on me i blame my mom leaving on myself um and obviously the adult version of you or somewhere along that journey you realize well no that's my mom that's nothing to do with me it wasn't my fault that she left but how did you get there? Because I guarantee you, people listening, that is a common, especially in divorced families, the right. first thing the kids do is they blame themselves, which kills me to see that. They think for some reason they're the reason. So how did you come to that awareness? Mm. I think getting to the point where I was actually talking about it with my mom. So talking with her directly. Talking with mm. her directly. That's useful. Yeah. And then she's like, no, it wasn't your fault. She, the, her, her main excuse was she didn't like my... Uh, her mother-in-law, which is my grandma. Mm, in-laws. Was, yeah, yeah, in-laws. I'll get you. So she said, oh, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> to this day, no responsibility on her part. But right. It's okay. I forgive her. I don't need that. I don't need that, like, accountability. I don't need it anymore. I used to. Um, but just talking about it and just addressing it, I think that's a lot of times. Just talking through it. That's huge. And I, I won't it. ask you how you would do that if you didn't because you were able to talk through it. Some people don't have that luxury of being able to do that. Second thing is, how did you forgive her? If you're going to walk somebody through that, tactically, how do you Ooh. forgive somebody that has wounded you in such a way that has shaped your life? Walk us through that. Ooh, okay. That's a good question. Uh, I think you have to have uh, some type of purpose that you that you have that allows you to get out of that. If you have a purpose that you have, like... Give yeah, us an example. Um. Are you talking about which which scenario are you talking about? The one with that well, my mom specifically left you for, you forgave your mom and you yeah. worked through that process. Yeah. Right? It sounds like it's been an so, ongoing. So the purpose, yes, the the purpose was I need to help my dad. I need to get him medically in a better condition. And it I, doesn't serve him. And it it doesn't it doesn't serve him to be angry at my mom because if I'm angry at my mom, I can't. There's like certain visit, visitation, Beautiful. all that stuff. Yep. So I have to I have to I have to have a purpose behind what I'm doing. Because if I don't have a purpose, then nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to keep continually be angry and always lash out, right? So there has to be a purpose. And the purpose was I need to help my dad. So I need to fully uh, forgive whatever she put me through in order to help my dad. So this so, this goes back to the, the structure I was talking about earlier around creating awareness. We always do what we value most. How is this behavior serving you? So the reason, if I'm hearing you correctly, you tell me if I'm wrong, but this is how I coach people. You recognize that being angry and not forgiving her wasn't serving you, and it right. wasn't serving your dad. 
right. and your value of serving your dad superseded your value of not forgiving her. Right. So you relinquished it for his sake. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Beautiful. That's 100%. the work, by the way. That is the work. That's how we create awareness. Well, I went through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I went through it. That's Thankfully. a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. It, it gets even worse, but I'm going to, you know, uh, go, go to Frank is going to be writing a book soon. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. Right. My uh, Life by Frank Aziz. <laughs> All right. So Hannah. Yeah. Finally yes. got your name right. Hannah. <clears throat> it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not to be confused um, with Heather. Yeah. Right. Not to be confused with the Heather psychologist that is actually trained. Just kidding. Um, the trauma that I will choose to share. Um, I don't think it was really anything blatant like there wasn't an actual event um but my parents were not affectionate like at all with each other um my dad had left two different times um young in my childhood I think I was maybe 18 months the first time he left and then he left again so they were separated both times and the second one was when I was in like second grade and when my dad came back. My parents slept in different rooms. Um, and that was, I mean, that was my childhood. Um, I remember being in college and seeing them kiss for the first time and like being wow. really grossed out by it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Um, like it was just like, ew, what are you guys like? No, I don't want to see that. Right. Um, and I didn't realize how traumatic that actually was because, again, it wasn't like one specific event. It wasn't like anything specifically happened. But my experience of a healthy romantic relationship, I didn't see one. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see what it was like to be... I don't know, to flirt or like to be courted or like to see healthy interaction between a male and a female. And um, it transpired in either me being completely unaware of right. really good guys that were attracted to me and maybe wanted to pursue something that I just had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and then the ones that I would notice were ones that were really more over the top. And mm -hmm. so they were actually just wanting like sexual interaction more than it was an actual relationship. Right. And so I found myself getting attracted or attached to certain guys that just really weren't wanting what I was wanting. Like I wanted a relationship um, and obviously a healthy one, but right. just... I never saw that. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, again, found myself in situations that I didn't want to be in. I ended up creating stories around all guys. The only thing guys want is sex. Um, right. That's, you know, like what I'm not good for because I knew and still know that that's only just a small part of us as women and men. Like we have so much more to offer the yeah. world. Um but yeah, I just had found myself in a lot of situations like that that I wasn't proud of. And it took, I don't know what the actual turning point was, but I just remember 
this was a few years ago, but I remember like reflecting on all the guys that I had liked throughout my life. And I was like, you know, I never like every guy that I've been intimate with. I didn't want to be intimate with. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That was really big for me to like have <laughs> that. And that was kind of when I started to be like, okay, why? Like, why am I putting like putting my body out there in a way where I don't want I did actually don't want it, but I'm saying yes for what reason? And I think some of it was that where it was like I wanted that connection and I didn't really know how to get it. I'm navigating something that was completely blank for me. I didn't see, I didn't see a a healthy one, but I also didn't see a bad one. I saw none. So it was just like me really trying to navigate through that. And then the first real sexual experience I did have, I was, um, I was raped. And so Whoa. that also played into not to drop bombs. Sorry. No, I've worked okay. through. No, no, it's okay. I've yeah. Please share. Please share. Yeah. Um, and so that then every guy after that, I realized that I didn't want to say no right. because the first time I did, I was dismissed right. and my no didn't matter. And so then, wow. you know, moving forward. So it was really interesting when I had those realizations. And then since then, I've, I think me realizing that just made me not put myself in situations like that anymore and really honor myself and say, sit with myself and say, Hey, is this what I want to do right now? Right. Like, is this actually what I want to do or is it not? And then just kind of navigating through that. Um, right. I still have a lot of anger towards my dad. Um, it's stuff that I'm still really working through um, I think I had switched to, oh, I get it. My dad was just depressed and, you know, he had his own thing and that's totally fine. And I forgave him for that, but I never acknowledged the little Hannah that didn't have a father, you know, and didn't have that role model. And then the trauma that I ended up experiencing as a result from that, those are still emotions and still things that I'm I'm definitely navigating through. Do you still have a distrust towards men or yeah. hatred towards men? Yes, yeah. I do. Um, hatred, not as much, but there's definitely. There was, a, there was at one point a hatred. Like... Um, no, I mean, after my first sexual experience, I went to counseling and I sat down with the counselor and I was like, I want to get married one day. Um, I want to be able to have sex with my husband. I don't want to be a lesbian um, and I don't want to hate men. Like that was what I sat down with her and was like, I want to work through this stuff. Um, but if there's, I'm definitely triggered. Like it's still definitely a soft spot. Like when I hear certain guys say things about women or yeah. act a certain way or whatever, like I definitely am like, screw these guys. So can we ask questions still, about that? Like, sure. Okay. What, 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 what triggers you about, and then, so I want to ask you what triggers you and then how are you overcoming that consistently? So anybody who's listening can, can learn from it. So. Yeah. Um, the answer to the second question is counseling. 
I see a therapist once a week um, and I talk about that stuff with her. Um, I think that is unbelievably important for me to be able to work through that stuff. Um, The stuff that will trigger me, it's really just any time like a woman specifically is sexualized um or like dating where guys will dance around to just get in a woman's pants like whenever those types of conversations are brought up is normally when I'll I'll get triggered um but I think probably one of the biggest is when women are sexualized to the point where and it can be from both it can be like a woman sexualizing herself or a man sexualizing a woman, that's just a very, very soft spot for me. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are you okay with me asking questions? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. So, like, um, are you on TikTok? I'm not. You're not and on that's TikTok? Part- <laughs> okay. Because on TikTok, there's, like, teenage girls mm-hmm. that are, like, overly sexualizing mm-hmm. themselves. It breaks my heart. So, how do you feel, like, when you hear that that there's girls over sexualizing themselves on tiktok i mean they're getting followers the thing is here's what's frustrating though is like this is what girls complain about on tiktok is i show myself but when i post something that's like shows my personality i get zero views i post something where i'm like half naked i get like a million views right so does that like what is that how do you feel when you hear that um it confirms the cynic in me Mm -hmm. that thinks that our world is so sexualized and has kind of lost the value of the individual and also the value of sex because sex is like our sexuality is unbelievably beautiful and is unbelievably powerful. Just don't think it's being acknowledged the the way that I would like to see it acknowledged. Um, For those girls, it, it's just like my initial response is like, sweet girl, you're so much more than your body. Right. So it's, right. it's that. And it makes sense again. I mean, we do live in a world that's very sexualized, so it's, I'm not shocked right. by it. It just, it breaks my heart and makes me want to help those girls. Yeah. What would you say to them? Like, just that sweet yeah. girl. You're much more, much than, more than your body. Than your body. So then what, what if I, what if I say, let's say I, I'm, you know, I'm a girl, right? What if I say, Hey, but you know, I get no views. I get all the attention when I'm half naked. Like, why is it? I don't, I don't want it to be that way, but just the way it works on TikTok. Um, that's a little hard for me because I actually genuinely do not care about views and am not like that's in that realm so it's really hard for me to relate to somebody that is like has a lot of importance to the views um that they're getting or the likes or whatever the case may be but I would depending if it's like a 16 year old girl I would probably set up like a little not challenge with her but just say hey let's get off of TikTok for a week 
and let's go hiking or let's go walk around the mall or let's go meet other people, like maybe do a meetup with other kids where we can play a game or to where she can experience life and love and connection in a way that's not the amount of views that she's having online. So I'd probably do something like that with her. Totally. That's why I like, um, I'm uh, interviewing Alexa tomorrow, uh, Fasulo, Alexa Fasulo. She has like a huge following and all she does is share like tips on business. Mm. I'm like, I love that. So I want to ask her, I don't know if I should ask her about it or I don't know what her opinions are. It's always like a questionable thing. Like, should I ask this question or is she going to be offended by it? What are her beliefs? I don't know. So it's interesting. Um, But thanks for sharing that. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Good. Great. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, Molly. Okay, so you, you we initially talked and you're like, I had such a great childhood. I had like, my parents were amazing. So maybe you can share something that was traumatic that was not related yeah, to your childhood. I definitely think, or um, as we were discussing, a lot of the things did come up with childhood with our parents, right? But the more that I think about it, I felt like my traumatic events happened at school with kids, right? Like really? the kids my age, right? Like the, the girls that I thought were my best friends who were catty and went behind my back or disliked me because I was, I don't know, did things that they thought weren't uncool. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of that kind of traumatic event with my friendships. And I still remember this time where people would three-way phone call me and ask me, Oh, so what do you think of so and so? And then I would share my personal opinion and because be we were friends, yeah. and they would be on the phone. So it was kind of like, oh, oh. well, you that's said that's you awful. didn't, you know, it's like you said you Kids didn't like brutal. her, da 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 da, <laughs> and then you brutal. just hear her kind of click on the phone, like, oh, now I know how you feel. Like, kind of that traumatic event was <clears throat> for me in a way where it's like I had a hard time befriending girls or. You know, in high school, I had a couple of girlfriends and then again, didn't want to become my friend because of the way I chose my life. And like, it was hard for me to, I guess, trust women. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was more traumatic than my parents. Like my parents really taught me well growing up. Like they worked hard, but they also came home to pick me up, make me food. So it was like, they're right. freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, my parents are really cool. I still have a really good relationship with them. Her parents are phenomenal. They really are. <laughs> the July party. We love you, Bob and Daisy. <laughs> Happy anniversary again. 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 Yeah. Um, but I just think about those days of like as a kid. Shit, I had a hard time having friendships, and you probably would not think of me like that because I feel like I'm still very social and mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends. And the coolest person I know. Mm. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. but someone once was just like or my mom would just be like well those girls are just jealous of you and it was hard because it was like I I ended up being very good at all of the things I did because Mm -hmm. I worked hard at everything I did like whatever my parents put me in whether that was sports or dancing like I was not just awarded participation Mm -hmm. but I would get the gold all the time so for me (laughs) it was like it was a jealousy thing that I had to I guess overcome with people and understand that like hey like there is nothing wrong with you being really good at what you're doing or your craft Hmm. Um, but now it's kind of just brought me a level of confidence as an adult and I don't think what I do 
like I still think I work really hard at what I do and all of the things that I do. But then now I'm surrounded by people who are also growing in a way where they're, it's not like a competition between me and women. It's more of like an uplifting or empowerment, right? So right. like I've chosen yeah. the life and designed the way my life because of what I had been through, <laughs> you know, like not wanting. So you chose in spite of you being hated on, you chose to actually love everyone pretty much. Correct. Which explains your personality and me knowing you. Yeah, you're very nice to everyone. And uh, upon initial <laughs> meeting, uh, upon initially meeting them, you're mm -hmm. pretty, yeah, just from what I know of you. You're Thank very, you. Yeah, you're very genuine, very nice, and a uh, good person. I appreciate that. But yeah. that's, I think that's probably the most, like not, obviously we have all of these things, other walls that you might have said, um, but that was something that came up in thought while we were discussing what we went through. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, um, so somebody that's like going through that right now, like let's like say, kid or yeah, let's say like a kid, I'm going through that right now, or maybe that it's just in the workplace. Like mm -hmm. there's bullying in the workplace a lot, especially in corporate environments, right? When you mm -hmm. have like a big company, like it's almost like, and you said you won the gold medal a lot, right? Or you won gold play or first place, whatever the case may be. Well, in like a corporate environment, Fortune 500 company, oftentimes when you are winning, People you're a target you. yeah right they look at you and they're like i don't she can't do that or she shouldn't be this successful because if she's successful i can't get the promotion i want mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. so how do you how, how did you how would you tell someone that's maybe going through that or is going as a child going through what you went through well i'm gonna first start off with the environment that we're in like we i'm thankful enough to have women in my life like i mentioned um who don't see me as a target versus a person to help uplift them. So if there's someone in our office who, again, it can be catty. Like we still work with young adults who right. have that frame of reference of if I'm not number one, you know, like if I'm not number one, then no one else can be number one, right. you know, but why can't we live in an environment where we're all working towards one goal? So I still think that even with, I'm coming back to our company because we work with so many people and young people like you have to realize that we are in it together. Mm -hmm. Like the more that we can care for each other, the more that our business will grow. And if they don't see that now, they should start realizing it in order for us to grow as a company, expand more. Um, we're not, we're not going to be able to become the people that we want to be if we're afraid of that. So we have to, I would share it with a woman, like uplift everyone around you. Like, even if, say, for example, we have a, like, I'm like, if we have our team, like allow yourself to care for someone that's ne not necessarily on your team, because who knows, like you are connect, you're going to create your network. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's well, like, what can you, point. like, yeah. what can you do for someone that can't help you right now? That's a good point. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's that is something that has been resonating with me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more. So yeah. I see it as a way, like, I'm still going to care for them. You know, like even yeah, if they you never know, you, you don't know, yeah, you who knows? Know. And it's, uh, yeah. Anyways. Oh, that's a good point. I think everybody should listen to that part. Just that one. Actually, let me. <laughs> that. Um, that was awesome. Yeah. I should probably be doing more clips here because there's a lot of good nuggets from Hannah, from Sebastian, from Molly. Um, all right. Um, but thank you. No problem. Round us out. <laughs> Are we ready? Uh, Catherine? If you, you can opt out if you want. You, you can. Yeah. I, 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 there's nothing to like opt out of. I can genuinely say that I don't think that I have anything 
from my childhood that I could really label as like a traumatic experience in itself. My parents are amazing, been married almost 40 years, um, run a business together, run a business together where their lives are dedicated to helping people. Um, so I, I grew up extremely blessed and had, you know, everything and more that I needed. But um, the only thing that I would say, like looking back, I did grow up in um, a religious household and a very conservative <laughs> religious household at that. And I was a wild child. Like <laughs> my um, nickname was Khaki because it, re it rhymed with wacky and <laughs> That's why that's why I go by cat now. Who, who Not my favorite nickname. nickname. My parents. <laughs> yeah. Um were you the only child or do you have No, I okay. I have an older sister as well. So um I think I I just had to come to terms with experiencing a lot of judgment um with the church that we were involved in. You're not supposed to cut your hair. You're not supposed to wear jewelry. You're not supposed to wear makeup, like right. ankle long skirts. Like as a woman, your only purpose is to like marry a guy and do whatever he says. <laughs> um, and, and granted, like not everybody believes that, but as a child and you're kind of like hearing somebody speak and then like listening to some of the whack ones out there, you kind of ingrained in your brain of like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. And I'm not like that. So Am I going to hell? Am I not good enough? Um, and my sister was not a wild one. Like she excelled in academics. Um, I, I, I think I felt like I was always compared to her of like, why aren't you more like this? Why aren't you more like this? But um, So that could be traumatic in a sense, right? Because mm -hmm. like, I mean, you're always compared, compared to all the other kinds of trauma out there. Like I've, I had it very lucky, like I said, but, um, and I think my parents did a great job too of kind of turning that around in its own way. It, it took me a while with, um, you know, figuring out the religious aspect of it and, um, you know, what I really believe there and what, how I kind of wanted to pursue my own spiritual path in the long run. But, um, my parents ingrained hard work into me very young, running their own business. Like they, I was eight, nine, like working for them, doing whatever side jobs that they had. And um, they could tell that there was a, a difference in what I was going to do based on the amount of effort that I put in. And right. so they, I think, taught so. me that very young. Like, hey, you may not be the best whenever it comes to academics although I did great I was a straight-a student um, nice. and like very great at sports but it was I was gonna get whatever I made out of it did your parents ever have parties when you succeeded did they ever did they ever say did they ever have a celebration yeah we wouldn't do anything like over the top, I would say, but pizza party. Right. Yeah, pizza yeah. party. Yeah, pizza party. Like, okay, so did they ever have? Did you ever notice when they had a celebration for your sister, and how they were giving her a little? Bit, have you ever noticed that they gave her a little bit more praise, or and did that ever hurt you like in any way? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So 
so somebody, so I'll tell you, like, I had a, a friend in high school. This guy was like, you will not meet a, a person that got better grades than him. He got a, like a 5.0. Wow. A 5.0. Is that and, a thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah in honors it's, classes, AP mm-hmm. classes, you take honors, AP classes. Wow. And yeah, I think my sister graduated with like 103. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. So one of my math I remember one time I went on a, a they went, they had a celebration. Um, and, and the little kid who, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he looked at me and he's like, Hey, my brother, I'm not going to say his name. Like he keeps getting like all this like praise and like, like it's all about him, huh? Mm. Like, and it, I could tell him, I could, I could, I could tell it hurt him really bad. Mm. Did you ever feel that? Like, was there ever a party where, cause I remember distinctly that moment that moment and i i could see, i could sense that it really hurt him i wouldn't say like oh there's this like exact moment that i so clearly remember that was so painful like yes no maybe i also <laughs> think looking back like my perception okay. as a child i just want to like slap the shit out of myself sometimes i'm like you're really just a crazy wild one that yeah. like kind of put these stories in your own head and believe that like this so strongly in one way. And now looking back, I'm like, it's just because they loved you. <laughs> like, yeah. So this child, there are different scenarios. Like your sister was better at, you know, different things than you were and yeah. you excelled in these other areas and they absolutely acknowledged and supported me. And so your trauma came from your parents were trying to put you in a box that you didn't really fit into. You were just yes. much different than what they thought you should be. Mm-hmm. Right. And because of that, like that was your most like that was like the thing that affected you the most, I think, right? Yeah, I would I would say so. And so you thought you had to be some somebody that you really weren't. And if you weren't that person, then you would be judged for being mm-hmm. that that you for not being that person. So then somebody that's like I can I, I think I can relate this to a, a lot of like Egyptian kids. Like I'm half Egyptian and half white. But like you have to fit into this certain box of like you have to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. You have to marry at this this time, whatever the case may be. Um, how would you tell? What would you tell them? Because if they're trying to be put into a box, like everyone, like everyone in that culture is, like put in that box. What would you tell that person? Hey, you don't need to be that person. Or how would you tell them to overcome that? Because people actually live their entire life in a box. Mm-hmm. And are unhappy. They choose unhappiness because they don't mm-hmm. want judgment over judgment. They choose unhappiness over judgment. Mm-hmm. So how would you how would you address that with 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 someone? I I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I I would play the you game just, for a little yeah. bit. Like oh yeah yeah I'll go to to nursing school and uh, I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars later decided to quit and move to California and right. um. I think that it's important to understand that generally where their heart is coming from is because they care. Like they, they want you to fit in this box because they care and because they love you. So it's also going to be very important for you not to judge back Mm -hmm. on that. Um, But be you follow the life that you want to and continue to grow and, I think my evaluation was always, um, what was the thought that I was going with this? 
like I, I just knew who I wanted to be and the route that I wanted oh, yeah. to go and, and not that the other route was like so bad. It just wasn't me and I wasn't going to be able to be authentic or happy right. um, in that. So cool. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Um, so Sabs, why don't you lead the conversation from this point on? What, what, what do you think we took from this whole thing? What do you think you personally took from it? And then, I mean, what do you think people watching would take from it? Yeah, I think uh, it's a good reminder that everybody has trauma. Everybody has a personal story of things they've gone through that we can learn from all of it. And collectively, we can learn from each other um, and not to judge, seek to understand. I think, especially right now, the, the, the skill of listening has been so diminished. It's just in communication, it's, right. you know, it's like we're talking over each other. If we if we take the time to really listen and understand, I think it changes the conversation and we connect more uh, and become more empathetic versus judging and assuming somebody's life is great. So they talk five different stories just in this room of different experiences that all lead to different worldviews and experiences right. and thought mm -hmm. processes and stories. I think everyone can learn from each other in that. And so I, I obviously... Um, lucky enough that these are some of my closest friends so I, I know these stories and, and you know and I cherish each one of them for the things that they've gone through and I'm proud of each one of them for the things they've gone through but I think um, these are things that we can all learn from for sure do you think like the number one thing that people say like when you're not succeeding or when you're doing something that's off of what you would expect from someone the number one thing that people say behind their back is how is this person raised right would you agree like, who taught you this? Who taught you that? Or Where did you learn this? Where did you learn this? Yeah. Okay, so... I don't know if people are smart enough to ask that question, but I think they should. <laughs> they, they, they should ask that question. I don't know that I hear Where that a lot. did you learn to do this? <laughs> that is a great question to ask yourself. <laughs> Where did I learn to think this way? Mm -hmm. I have two questions I go off on my phone every single day as a reminder that I do, that's ingrained in me now is question anything that seems obvious, question anything that doesn't make sense. Hmm. And you do those two things, you will constantly promote self-awareness. Question any area of your life that seems obvious, duh, that's just the way we do it. That's anytime, right. by the way, anytime you hear that phrase, that's just the way we do it. That should be a tip off to like, well, why? Yeah. Right. That's an obvious question. Anything that seems obvious or then anything that doesn't make sense. Question anything doesn't make sense. There's a lot of business opportunities on the other side of question anything that doesn't make sense. For instance, mm -hmm. why would the stock market be going up in the middle of a pandemic? I, I don't know right. how many social media headlines read that way in, in legit questioning it. Well, that's a great place to, to jump in. You're going to get to the some really great business opportunities if you can take the time to figure that out. Well, why is the market going up in the middle of a pandemic? Hmm. Right. So question anything that doesn't make sense. Question anything that seems obvious. What, what, what is an example of somebody that you've looked at and you said that needs a change or that doesn't seem obvious with regards to your ambition, right? So if you're saying, hey, look, uh, like I want to become a millionaire by this age or I want to become a millionaire in the next year or two years. Um, and what do, you, what do you see as a disalignment of that ambition and, and how do you address it? Are you asking me if I'm coaching somebody who's made it known to me that they want to be a millionaire in X amount of time and they're making decisions that don't align with what they're saying they want? Or, yeah, just in general, they have a goal, but you, you notice that they're 
what, what is something that you noticed that is not aligned with that goal or that ambition and how do you address it? Like, let's say somebody's like, I want to be a millionaire, but they watch five episodes of Netflix right. every day. So this goes back to what I was saying earlier. We always do what we value most. So my coaching style generally is not to tell people what to do. It's to create mm. awareness. Sure. So if somebody tells me I want to be a millionaire in the next five years, I'm not going to tell them what to do more often than not. I'm going to ask them what they are doing. And, and then and then like one of my favorite questions to ask somebody is, what are you doing currently that would let me know you were serious about that? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Right? Or the opposite. Question. Like, what are you doing right now that somebody would think that isn't your value system? Hmm. Right. So I wow, that makes you think. And, and that's yeah. the point. My goal yeah. isn't to tell people what to do. It's to teach them to think, because if you if only free people can help other people get free, you got to get free here first. Mm -hmm. Right. And that if you're if you need somebody else to spoon feed you truth, you're always going to be a slave to someone else. Someone else is always going to be the one that's that's controlling the narrative. Right. If you teach people how to think it takes a lot more work. It's a lot more frustrating. But then you create free people. Free people are hard to shut down, Just you know, again, free people are hard to shut down. Look, look at the yeah. media. The media does not want to teach you how to think. It wants to force feed you what to think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually. Okay. A little bit off subject, but I me, this is my belief personally. Um, okay. This is my belief personally. Um, I don't believe in taking salaries. I just don't believe in it. Me personally, this is me personally. We're going to do another podcast on this one. Yeah. That's a good topic. Let's, let's do that. Um, Let's let's talk about that another time. But for now, um, let's just end it on a good note. Let's just end this podcast on a good note. So, whether you're, it doesn't matter if you're going through something traumatic right now. Just be self aware. Seek out help. Um, talk about it. Do something to that puts you in the position to potentially change it, as opposed to ignoring it because that's not good. And then I would say be open to feedback and advice. If you're open to those things and you're open. Um, I know I, I can tell this between I, I can tell who's gonna be really successful based on how they take feedback. Yeah. True. So so like if 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 somebody tells you, hey dude, even if it's harsh, if it comes at you harsh, I think people become really successful really fast when they can take any type of advice, no matter how harsh it is, whether it's in the form of bullying or whatever the case may be, they can look at it objectively and then make an adjustment based on their objective view. Right. That's I think that's when people start really succeeding at a high level. And what the, what's happening from a frame standpoint, the transition that's happening internally is you value truth more than right and wrong. Right. Right. Where most people get stuck is they get stuck in the right or wrong trap instead of seeking truth. Yeah. And they get so committed to that that they miss truth. Right. Yeah. Jesus said you can't see the forest through the, the, the see the trees through the forest. Yeah. Right? You're so stuck in what you see, you're missing the, the big picture. Yeah. And I could see this like with uh like significant others too. I, I deal with with my wife too. Like sometimes like your significant other, you give them feedback and they they take it harsh they take it as like you're being harsh with me. Like it's not but but then I in myself when I realized no, I'm not gonna take it like I'm offended. So I used to be offended by everything and my and my wife even noticed this, is now I just take it and I go okay, I'm going to think about it. I'm not going to be offended. I'm, I'm going to adjust. And that's helped me like so much. So, mm -hmm. all right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, please go like, go comment and subscribe to the podcast right now. If you, if you found value in this podcast, go subscribe and let us know what you think. We'd love to get feedback.
we love your feedback. Leave comments, leave messages, direct messages to uh, myself. We're going to be live on other platforms too. Um, but uh, we'd love to hear that and uh, adjust based on what you guys want to hear about. Thanks a lot.